Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Known as the Impaler after his favorite means of execution, Dracula is said to have burned, boiled, disemboweled, and tortured his way into the history books. Aaron, have you seen that, and I'm not joking about this, they're giving out free vaccines at Dracula's legit castle in Transylvania? I did hear this. I also heard that there are going to be some things like that happening in the U.S., maybe at fast food restaurants I heard recently. (laughs) Oh, I like that uh, the closest thing we have to Dracula's castle here in the U.S. is fast food restaurants. (laughs) But really, it's so cool. Like, if that doesn't bump up global vaccination rates, I don't know what will. It's a great idea. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I think everyone wants to help the rest of the world as much as we can. I think, though, that there are people inside the administration who believe that we have the ability now, or or several weeks ago, had the ability to send vaccines overseas. There are others in the administration who believe that the U.S., is not there yet. As cases surge in India and neighboring countries in Southeast Asia, Aaron Banco on why the U.S. might be falling short in the global fight against the pandemic. So there are several different avenues for the U.S. to go down to provide aid to the rest of the world as it relates to COVID-19. So one of the areas is what we all know of as COVAX, and the U.S. is the largest financial donor to COVAX um, on the planet. It has invested, you know, uh, a lot of money in making sure that COVAX has what it needs in terms of supplies and and vaccines and raw components to be able to distribute vaccines to the rest of the world. The U.S. is also spearheading its own, its separate program, uh, apart from COVAX, to do direct donations to countries across the world in the form of therapeutics, uh, personal protective equipment, oxygen, and also vaccines. Now, this is a relatively new program. We have only really seen those supplies going to to just a few countries. India is one of them, uh, Mexico and Canada. But it is, uh, we will start to see uh, a lot more information come out in the coming days, pretty soon here, perhaps by the end of the week, about what more the U.S. can be doing uh, or what it will be doing to give direct donations to some of these countries. It's a very complicated, kind of messy process, because what the U.S. has to do essentially is prioritize which country can get ahead of the curve and and stand in the first part of that line. And that can be a big deliberation and and figuring out what are the factors we want to consider when we're prioritizing these kinds of um, therapeutics and vaccines. So uh, it's been a long time coming, but it's also been a, a, a huge deliberation inside the administration. And there are some people inside the administration and others across the world who say the U.S. has not moved quick enough to help the rest of the world. And that's been a major uh, point of contention. Is there anything major here that the U.S. could do but isn't? The major point here that 
officials have been talking about every single day for hours a day is what do we do with these extra AstraZeneca doses that have not been approved for use in the U.S., but that we've contracted for. Hmm. The administration did say two weeks ago that they would send 60 million of those AstraZeneca doses to the rest of the world. That is a drop in the bucket. Hmm. for what the rest of the world is in need of right now. There are 300 million more AstraZeneca doses that that uh, will go into production. So I think what we could be doing more of now is moving more swiftly in getting those doses out to the rest of the world. And I think the holdup has been who do we send the doses to first? And and that is the the major point of contention. Lawmakers questioned U.S. officials on this subject yesterday. Did we learn anything new from their testimony? So I think we learned a little bit more about what the State Department and USAID's thinking is about this issue. They were very hesitant to get uh, in front of any announcement on AstraZeneca and where those doses are going. Um, As we are considering the allocation of the AZ doses and other things we may do on that front, uh, we are taking a look at geography while we also try to keep an eye on how do we make sure we're starting to get that global coverage that's needed. But lawmakers did not hold back. I guess yeah. I'm a, I'm a little uh, concerned as I've been listening to these uh, discussions so far that that we're discussing, we're planning, we're prioritizing, uh, we're inter- interacting with others. Uh, I mean, the president's put forward over $6 trillion of, of legislation bills uh, in his first 100 days. And yet, and yet, with regards to this global crisis, we're still planning and trying to prioritize. No, and, yeah. and I, they I, really the, pressed the uh, these representatives on what is the plan here. There seems to be basically five or six different ways we could be helping the rest of the world. And how is the U.S. going about prioritizing these resources, Senator? We've got that framework, and. I- Where where is it? Because Senator Kane just asked what's happening in Latin America. Can we not know? Do the people in Latin America, country by country, know what's coming to them, when it's coming? And Gail Smith, who is the lead on this over at the State Department, said that that is just an that's an ongoing discussion and that the prioritization and the rubric for how the U.S. is going to figure out where these resources go is not yet finalized. We are in the process of allocating the funding that was provided by Congress. Yeah, yes, I, we can walk in through the details of where that is going. I think it'd be helpful to have to have sure. that have that available to the not only Congress but to the American people and the people of the world. And I think that concerns are. some lawmakers, particularly Mitt Romney, who voiced his opinion in the hearing, saying there needs to be a clear foundation that we work off of, so that this can be a playbook that we use for the future. And that also needs to be made public, not not just to the American people, but also to lawmakers on the Hill, so they can understand how U.S. resources are being used and, and where they're going. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's taken several weeks for the U.S. to get their footing on how they want to go about structuring the U.S. response to help the rest of the world. You see countries such as China and Russia who are out there trying to curry political favor with their, with their donations to other countries. They're trying to use it um, through this diplomatic framework where they can use it politically. And I think when it comes to vaccine diplomacy, we have some significant 
and hard decisions to make about prioritization. A few months into the pandemic, China capitalized on the moment to announce a $1 billion loan to the region to facilitate vaccine access. Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Honduras, Mexico, Panama, and Venezuela are using Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. And Gail Smith uh, was very adamant that that is not the U.S. way, that is not the way the U.S. wants to go about sending these donations. But there is a lot of pressure at the same time to compete with countries like China and Russia. And the activities of Russia and China, uh, I would have to describe as robust but very cynical. One of the ways to respond is to make clear that the United States sees vaccines as tools for ending a pandemic and not as tools to twist people's arms or try to secure political influence. And I think there was some concern among lawmakers, like, why why won't the U.S. do that? Why shouldn't the U.S. be doing that? Why shouldn't we be competing? But I think the State Department's view is that if we go that route and we want to leverage our vaccines in the same way China and Russia are leveraging their vaccines, it opens up a whole host of issues for the administration, that the administration, they just don't want to go down that path right now. At least that's what they're saying publicly. I think time will tell. Let's say the U.S. were to just not do more globally, like hold on to those AstraZeneca shots, and we were to totally focus everything we can do on the U.S., you know, only keeping vaccines here, somehow devoting enough time, enough resources to truly get most of the population vaccinated. But we didn't worry about what happened in the rest of the world What does that situation look like? Like, could the U.S. somehow become an insulated bubble in that situation? Well, I think that's what we've been doing. Hmm. We've been holding on to a lot of our resources. Yes, we've been diverting cash to COVAX and cash to other countries. But the problem with the cash first approach is that no matter how much we donate, it's still going to take these other countries quite a long time to, for example, scale manufacturing and produce their own vaccines, to find their way through the supply chain uh, for things like therapeutics and, and personal protective equipment, where it would be a lot faster if the U.S. just did it through direct donation rather than trying to finance these other things. And and I think that's something the U.S. is still trying to figure out. I don't think it sends the right message. I don't think the administration wants to send the message that we're hoarding all of our resources when we don't need to. That's, that's not what the administration wants to do. They want to be a leader on the world's stage. They want to help developing countries, particularly um, in, in Africa, in areas in South Asia. But at the same time, there are, you know, political officials in the White House who are very um, of the domestic mind, mm. who are very worried about what message it will send politically to Americans across this country that we're diverting precious resources when we're not sure what's going to happen in our own country, particularly when vaccination rates are falling. Erin Banco, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Also today, 
A federal vaccine advisory committee is overwhelmingly endorsing the use of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine in teens aged 12 to 15. On Wednesday, the CDC panel voted 14 to 0 with one recusal in favor of expanding use of the shot days after the FDA authorized its use in the same age group, helping clear the way for roughly 17 million kids to be vaccinated nationwide starting this week. President Biden says some 15,000 pharmacies across the country are prepared to begin administering the vaccine to young teens starting today, and that school-based clinics and family health centers will also be giving doses. And Republican leaders say they'll draw a hard line on raising taxes to pay for infrastructure. On Wednesday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy met with President Biden and the Democratic leaders in the House and Senate to discuss a potential bipartisan deal on the president's infrastructure and jobs plan. Both Republican leaders left the meeting saying tax increases are off the table, despite Biden proposing an increase in corporate taxes as a way to pay for a popular roads, bridges, and broadband program. Instead, they said they'd try to narrow down what, if anything, they can agree could be passed on a bipartisan basis in the Senate, with Republicans seeing childcare, housing, and other priorities as separate from an infrastructure bill. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, be sure to tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.